Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts over there on that app, give us a follow, tap a five-star rating, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. Today on the podcast, on this episode, uh, we have Dr. Graham back in the building. Um, but today we're, we're talking about uh, good intentions gone awry. Um, in every faith journey, uh, good intentions guide the way. Um, however, sometimes, even with the purest of intentions, some may inadvertently uh, cause harm or there's a path to harm. And our conversation today, we want to kind of shed some light on the intersections where personal growth is happening, faith is happening, um, and also that delicate balance with human actions, bringing humanity into it. Um, And so for that, again, we brought Dr. Graham back. Dr. Graham, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Nate. Thanks for the invitation. And you are a regular on the show now. What is this? Three, three times, four times? I, I, don't, I don't know how many think, episodes we have. I think three times. Yeah, three times. So if you uh, no intro needed, but if you want to know more about Dr. Graham, just jump down to the show notes while we're talking here. Uh, you can tap on his website there, find out more, and uh, head on over and see all about him. But today, talking about unintended consequences uh, of intentions um, when things go awry. And I will write from the from the get go. We're we're talking about this in the church, but humanity anywhere humanity is involved, um, you're going to have mess ups, screw ups, mistakes. Um, and then when you add that to the church body, um, things can get messy and people can get hurt. Um, so we want to talk about what this looks like, what we can do about it. Highlight the conversation. Um, so to start things off, throwing it over to you in your professional experience, uh, maybe how common is well-intended harm in faith communities? And maybe give us also what you think about when you uh, think of well-intended harm. Yeah, that's a great, great place to start. So uh, I'm a counselor educator, but I'm, I still have a counseling practice as well. And when I moved from clinical community mental health settings to a private practice setting. I wanted to be intentional about making space for people who were needed to navigate faith. And maybe they'd been in counseling before and and the counselor was not equipped or not able to help them navigate that. So really try to lean into how is your faith impacting your distress and how is your distress impacting your faith? And so a lot of times when people come to me and, and share their story with me, right? Which is a big part of what counseling is, is just being a part of somebody's story and maybe helping them to edit parts of their narrative. A lot of times the things that they bring to me and describe uh, their hurts, their pain, the, the particular parts of their story that have led them to embrace narratives that they now find very unhelpful, inaccurate, and unhelpful, a lot of times, whether that's from within their family or from within their faith community, the the thing beneath the thing, you know, the, the goal of the person engaging in a particular behavior or saying a certain thing was not uh, 
with malice aforethought, right? This was not somebody engaging in a hostile act. And yet uh, the way it was said or how it was said or the previous experiences by the, pers- by the hearer, uh, it was unintended harm. Harm was done. And we need to name it as that while recognizing that that wasn't the motivation of the person who had done the act or said the thing. Yeah, there, so as we're talking here, as I'm listening to you, one of the things that I think that I've noticed happens a lot when faith community or not, people are just talking about, hey, what you said hurt me or what you did uh, caused this uh, in my life. Um, the first, one, of the, one of the big things that comes up is just defensiveness right out of the gate. Um, whoa, I, that, that's, that's not what I meant to do. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? And then you feel like you need to defend your actions. And have, have you seen that? I'm sure you have. And as a professional counselor, what does it look like? What does that say? Um, and how does that help or deter a conversation from keeping on going when there's defensiveness and then shots fired and then it just seems to devolve and the conversation stops? Well, maybe it's better to map this over onto something that we've all encountered, at least all of us who are parents of young children, um, you know, two, two siblings uh, or two friends for that matter are at the playground or in the living room and somebody throws something or uh, pushes something or, you know, engages in some act that they do not, maybe it's irresponsible, maybe they could have been more careful, uh, but certainly their intention was not to car- cause harm in another and so, you know, the, the Lego hits the, uh, hits the face of the, of the sibling or the table falls over and lands on, uh, lands on somebody or whatever sort of accident happens there. It is relevant to the situation that the motivation was not to cause harm, right? That it makes a difference to the individual who, who has engaged in the action, but it also matters to the person who... Uh, the person who has been hurt, right, to realize, in fact, you, you've probably, uh, you know, as a, as a dad of young kids, right, you've probably had to coach your children to even realize, oh, what they've done. They didn't mean to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't need to be sorry. In fact, we just had that conversation with a, with a child yesterday or the day before to say, you know, the fact that you did not mean for this to happen does not mediate the fact that it actually did hurt this person. And so I still need you to to repair. And so what happens is the defensiveness that, as you just mentioned, then almost makes it seem as though maybe this person did have malice aforethought. Maybe this was more of a hostile act Mm. if they're not simply willing to acknowledge, you know, oh, my goodness, let me quickly repair our relationship. If suddenly it becomes you know, almost a gaslighting. I can't believe that hurt you. I can't believe you're upset when clearly I didn't do something volitionally with the end goal in mind of you being hurt in the process. Well, you you mentioned the gaslighting side of that and to go down that trail just a little bit, uh, some, some can even take it a step further in the experience, especially within the church body. And I'm talking about the entirety of the body of Christ. Um, no matter your denomination, your affiliation, or what other nation uh, under salvation that you're a part of. 
Uh, you can, you know, say, well, that wasn't my experience. That didn't happen the way you're saying it. Um, mm. And invalidate the other person's lived experience, uh, which is, you know, w- one of the things that gaslighting does. Uh, how much with that? So self-awareness, emotional IQ are all playing in here. And this first part, we're talking about the seemingly benign or good actions within faith communities that lead to hurt. And I think this is one of them. As people share their experience within the body of Christ, um, to have people first deny or defend, get defensive, but then, I mean, listening is so powerful. We've talked about that on the podcast, talked about that in, in podcast on grief. Um, and so when this comes also to just listening to someone's lived experience without denying it, is there a way that you can, is, is it just self-awareness? Is it emotional IQ or is it like shutting up and listening? And what, what does that look like? And is it possible if you don't see what they're saying and that's not your experience just to not invalidate it and say, no, that didn't happen. Uh, I know I went a little rogue there, but um, yeah, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I, I often tell a story because um, <laughs> I'm a storyteller, uh, but I often tell a story of if, 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 you'd, if you'd ever dropped a cinder block on your foot, and, and I don't recommend that you do that, um, but if you were to do that, and then you'd have to go through the surgical procedures to have your the bones in your foot reconstructed, perhaps, uh, you'd spend some time in a wheelchair, you'd spend some time on crutches, you'd spend some time with a walker, you'd go through uh, the process of getting the right kind of treatment for, for what ails you. Um, and the, the, the complication there is that down the road, you'd see somebody walking with a cane, walking with a walker, and you'd immediately project your own mm. education and experience, right, onto that. You'd sort of map that directly onto there and say, okay, so because this person is walking with a limp, it probably means they're just not used to not being with the walker that they had. And before that, it was crutches. And before that, a, a wheelchair because they dropped a cinder block on their foot. And so, again, I can even tie these two things together. You end up uh, out of a heart of compassion for this person may make recommendations regarding how you survived your uh, your foot meets uh, cinder block mishap. And that may be not at all with this person, not at all part of their story. And you've just sort of mapped your story onto them with, with good intentions so that you could provide care, but maybe your recommendations aren't helpful at all. Perhaps this was congenital for them. Perhaps, you know, perhaps they, uh, you know, they stepped on a bee that stung the bottom of their foot and that's what, you know, and it may be something very, very different. And so your, your help uh, may not only be inaccurate; it, it may actually may actually cause harm to them. Now, I'm not a I'm not a fan of violent rhetoric, and we've talked about that personally. That I, and maybe I take that too far, but I, I try to be I try to not use violent rhetoric to describe something that isn't actual violence, right? And so when we talk about when we use words like harm, when we use words like abuse. You know, and, and I'm recognizing that there's some there's some tension there because on one side I don't want to imply that um, 
misdiagnosing the person walking down the street with a limp is harm in the same way that childhood sexual abuse is harm, right? And yet, at the same time, there are emotional, psychological, even spiritual consequences of, you know, even well-intentioned actions that have some of those same consequences as though there had been, as though there had been volitional intent, as though it had been, you know, I'm going to do an act of physical aggression towards you. And so, um, so I do use those sorts of terms just with those caveats that I recognize that there are some, there is some tension in, in using that sort of terminology. But you take something like, take something like uh, overprotectiveness, right? And so again, we're, we're dads, we're dads with young kids. Um, I mean, my, my kids span a large, a very large age group, um, but I still have, I still have, uh, you know, uh, several kids who are under 10. And uh, I want to be, I want to protect them. I want to protect them from uh, inappropriate content that they could find on the screen. I want to protect them from uh, people at the grocery store that may have an ill intention. Uh, not that everybody at the grocery store has an ill intention. I'm not, <laughs> not projecting that. Uh, you know, we want to be careful. And yet I've had people uh, in my office who have talked to me about having been overprotected to the point that they had a really hard time making social connections outside their specific family or, or even you know, their, their church community. So here, the, the parents had well-intended to protect this child from harm, and yet that protection did actually harm them in, in mm. other ways, right? So maybe that's a less a less aggressive way of introducing this idea of somebody's trying to do something to be helpful and yet there's unintended negative consequences as well. Yeah, that brings up, uh, well, my mind's already gone in four different directions, but one, one thing on, on what you're talking about there, trying to help, uh, there's that story of the kid that's watching the the, the butterfly that the crawled in as, you know, the, the worm and now it's in its chrysalis, and he sees it struggling, trying to get out. Uh, and it's like, oh, I'll, I'll help you out here. And it you know, opens up the chrysalis just a little bit more without realizing struggling to get out of the chrysalis is part of the growth process to get mm. everything to the wing so that the butterfly can flourish. And now you've just crippled that butterfly. Um, and, you know, don't don't take that too far with a metaphor onto trauma and healing. And <laughs> you just, just take it for sure. what it is on intent. The intent is to help. But it was done and without malice caused uh, irreparable harm um, that did not lead to the full flourishing uh, of, of that particular, is it an insect? Is a butterfly an insect? I don't know. But that particular creature. Um, and I, yeah. I, I do think that you can listen to someone who is telling you something, and I think it's a mark of high emotional intelligence that I have not achieved yet, uh, I will tell you, but listen to someone talk to you and say either you or an organization you're a part of or uh, something that you have some responsibility in has caused harm to them. You can take that in and validate their experience 
without mm-hmm. you know that being I don't know something you you hold your own liability for, um, or just take out that defensiveness and say I hear you, and I want to hear what you're saying, and I want to take whatever I can from that to do better in the future, and you may walk away with nothing other than you validated and heard someone's experience, but you have done something there. Uh, even if things like, well, I, I don't know where I can change, and it may not be today, today that I learn how to, what that is. And it, I think in the for unity within the body of Christ, that's huge. That's huge because I want where I want to go next is, we've alluded to it a little bit, but that the the unintended harm, the emotional impact at least of the unintended uh, harm, uh, those actions that happen. Can we talk a little bit about that, what that might look like, what that emotional impact, the unintended harm looks like, specifically within the body of Christ, when those, whether from the pulpit or the Sunday school room or uh, within a Christian home even, because some of those things overlap uh, a lot, mm-hmm. um, what, do those, what do those things look like as they've played out in your experience with those that you've interacted with? as we explore the psychological and emotional impact of unintended harm. Yeah, so we've we've talked before about how impacted I've been by attachment science, right, and, and recognizing how uh, early childhood interactions with primary caregivers sort of create the scaffolding upon which we see ourselves and we see the world around us. and And that's not fixed, right? There's some you know, neuroplasticity going on, right? Like even even the interactions that you and I are having, even though we're, you know, more than a thousand miles between us, right? Like, you know, our, our brains are still at work, right? New connections are being made. And, and so like change is happening all the time. And so um, as a result of these sorts of things, there can be long lasting things, especially if it's, if it's part of a narrative that's been reinforced over and over and over again. And so, you know, we are, we are made for connection. And so if that connection is ruptured, even by a well-intended, uh, a well-intended thing, if it, if it simply reinforces that I am, uh, that I am broken, that I am part of the other, that I am not a part of this particular community in the way that I, that I thought maybe it was. You know, I think about, um, and maybe this is something that's been discussed in too many, too many spaces already, but uh, I don't think I've heard it specifically addressed on Grace Stories. So I'll, just, I'll just lean into this, right? Um, you know, the, uh, the, the annual Mother's Day sermon uh, at church, right? Which is well-intended. And for many of the women um, in the congregation, a Mother's Day service is a call to action to steward motherhood in a way that honors God and fosters uh, a sense of security in their own children. And yet we know that there are um, adults in the congregation who have complicated relationships uh, with their mother that makes that difficult for them. There are mothers, are there are women who are in the congregation who, um, who were unable to have, to, to have children. And so 
Um, you know, I've heard people say, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, 85%, this applies in a healthy way to 85% of people. Am I supposed to not Defensive. provide care for those, yep. provide care for those 85% because of the 15% that this might potentially harm, right? And so it's complicated. You know, I'm, I'm fully acknowledging it's complicated, but I think we need to make space for the fact that, and with humility approach this and other topics, recognizing that there there may be people who are who are made to feel uncomfortable at the least but may be harmed by the assumption that this very specific narrative is what it means to be a biblical woman and so now the consequences of somebody sitting in our church or sitting or sitting in our living room and saying well this isn't part of my story and so I must not fit here in the way that I thought that I fit and so some, some guilt and shame maybe about some decisions that if they'd made differently, uh, maybe this would be different. You know, some anxiety, some stress uh, surrounding, uh, is my presence here making people feel uncomfortable? You know, uh, just all kinds of dynamics that can come out of that, like breeding further isolation, right? Well, I'm not going to come to the women's meetings anymore if all we do is talk about how to be a good wife and mom when maybe, maybe, well, I'm not either. <laughs> the story's getting really awkward here. Uh, using this as an example, maybe I should have yeah. stuck with Father's Day. But, um, you know, I think that's an example though, right? I, I'm not, I'm not against having a Mother's Day celebration. I'm not, uh, you know, and yet at the same time, making space for the fact that that's complicated for, uh, for a percentage of the people that the church is trying to serve. Yeah, you, I, I I heard there. It makes sense, and hearing initially people maybe it sounds defensive right off the gate. Like, well, what do you want me to do? What do you want? I'm just I'm just trying to help here, and you're nitpicking at the, and and to a certain extent, yeah, sure, it is actually kind of nitpicking, uh, but uh, if you want to put it that way, but what is what is the end goal of the church? What is the end goal of of the pastor? The those that are in ministry is to shepherd the flock and it's not like most of the flock or the mainstream of the flock or the majority of the flock and that is tricky though i recognize I, that it is tricky and difficult to be bringing in everyone and try to minister to everyone from a pulpit on sunday or in a sunday school room or going door like how do you do that um and how do you be proactive, actually? And maybe that's a good place to go. How can church communities, uh, the body of Christ, those in leadership, uh, deacons, pastors, uh, go down the whole list, how can they be proactive? Um, well, you know, you because you could get lost going down this, like, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, we don't want to cause harm. And I don't want to be, um, or the uh, phrase in my mind is a bully from the pulpit. Um, I don't want to do that. Um, so I guess we're just doing John 316 every Sunday. <laughs> but even then, I'm gonna now I'm going to offend people that say I'm soft on this and not too much on that. What? Mm. So with, with this, because oh, we've opened a can of worms here, because there's a lot of perspectives on what is, what is well-intended harm. Uh, that's just, you know, some way to say you should not be as uh, forceful in your ministry or something like that. So let's go down that road of how, what does it actually mean to be proactive in 
uh, not causing unintended or well-intended harm? And how can we do that in a way where we don't lose sight of all the missions, goals, and everything that is appropriate within the church body for reaching those for Christ and, and shepherding the flock and empowering people to reach others uh, in, in the kingdom? Well, perhaps the only thing worse than a clunky illustration is over is 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 just sticking with the clunky illustration and forcing it to go to go put some to more gas in it. Let's but go. so so yeah so let's so let's just let's just go there right. So again, I'm seeing somebody you know hobble up the street with a limp. You know, maybe I need to second guess whether my it's my place to come and give them insight as to, you know, the treatment they should be receiving, right? So maybe if I do feel as though I need to uh, approach them, I need to share from them my story, then maybe I do so with, with a sense of humility, right? Recognizing that their story may not be mine. So having sort of a default position of recognizing that we're, we've come from different places and different spaces, and maybe God is calling me to speak into your life, but, you know, I need to make sure that I'm coming at that with a posture of, of humility. But I think maybe what's most important, what's most important is that when we realize that, that it has been, you know, that harm has been caused, right, that there is that immediate validation and empathy, Right. As opposed to, as you just said, you know, defensiveness. Right. Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry that I uh, that that was your experience and that that was your experience because of me. I, I just had a speaking engagement a few weeks ago and um, and a, you know, a, a, a lady came to me afterwards and told me that she got nothing out of my presentation, which is always what you want to hear. Um, no, it's not. And and so I said, um, yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for standing in line so you could come up and say that to me. Um, and her, her response was to note that she found that I talked too fast and that my I didn't stick with my handout in the way that she'd expected. And so she she has difficulty hearing and, and English is not her, her first language. And so she's reliant on a speaker sticking to the handout so that she's able to see sort of where we are in the presentation. And I had given a handout and then was telling stories to add context to what was on the handout and, and she didn't find that helpful. And I shared that with with a friend uh, whose response was, well, if you don't understand, I'll, you know, you sh- she should have gone to another workshop, you know, whatever that <laughs> that sort of thing. But that wasn't my response. Right. And I'm not you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, call out my own humility. It's like not really a, a phrase you're allowed to say. But like my immediate response to that lady was to say, like, I am so sorry like, thank you so much for that feedback. I will I will commit. In fact, I even named to her the next speaking engagement that I had was just a few days later. I said, I am going to be way more intentional. You know, I'm still going to maintain my own style. This is sort of my, my presentation shtick. But, but I'm going to make sure that I'm connecting well with people who, who seem to, to not be able to follow because I'm talking fast or I'm, I'm telling 
I'm telling stories, you know, those sorts of things. So I think, I think that immediate response, whether it's the person who says, you know, pastor, you told that story and it seems like you're talking about somebody from my own family, you know, maybe that was, maybe, maybe they were, but maybe it wasn't, but quickly, rather than being defensive, say like, oh, I'm so sorry that you felt that way. You know, I'm sorry that I contributed to some distress for you. Um, you know, those sorts of things, even being willing to, to navigate emotions with people, you know, how did that, how did that feel for you mm. that, you know, you, you came to my workshop and you didn't get anything out of it, you know, you know, or, or whatever in the context of faith, you know, that we, we invited you to this event and yet all of our content seemed to be geared towards people who are at certain developmental stages within their family and it doesn't apply to you. You know, how did that, how did that feel for you? You know, acknowledging what our intention, I mean, we wanted you to feel like you were part of our community. And so we, you know, that was our intention. Um, you know, almost, almost, uh, you know, I, I acknowledge as I'm doing in this moment right now, I tend to over narrate out of concern that I've just misspoken in a way that we cause harm to somebody. But, even acknowledging, you know, even acknowledging, hey, hey this was my motivation here. Um, not in a posture of defensiveness and not first, you know, but yeah. first being able to acknowledge, you know, validate their situation and taking whatever responsibility we can for that. And to say, you know, I'm really sorry that this is how we, and this, this applies to, to fatherhood too. Right. I'm really sorry that this is the message that that you heard from what I was conveying. That is not what I intended to convey. And I'm sorry that my clunky communication skills had you walk away from that interaction feeling as though I maybe loved you less than I really do. You know, those is a, something that several of my children have heard me say, you know, but and then being able to to sort of sit with what that means. So it becomes the it becomes the. Where, where the offense is, where the harm is unintended, or perhaps even intended, and, and it landed harder than was, than, than was intended, being able to, to figure out what repair looks like in that particular situation. You know, yes, I, yes, I meant to clear the table. No, I did not mean to crumple up your coloring page. Mm. How can I, how can I, you know, can I print off you a new one? Can we work on one together, right? We can't fix the misdeed, but we can work to repair rather than to, well, if you hadn't had the paper here, it wouldn't have gotten crumpled up. Oh, I've, I've been right there because I've had, <laughs> I have girls, uh, and, you know, two of them are at least in the coloring stage uh, where they know what they're coloring, four and seven. <laughs> uh, but they have discovered in the trash can their works of art. Um, they have gone over to the trash can to throw in, you know, that apple they only took one bite of and now they're done. Uh, and and they're, they're looking in there and like, wait a minute, that's that's what I drew for daddy and I gave it to him. And they will bring me that crumpled up piece of paper that I'm just trying to clear the house and keep it clean mm -hmm. so that they have a, a, a place of safety and calm. And that's my intention. We're, we're keeping this place clean and decluttered which I don't actually accomplish, but that's a sidebar. And they, you know, they bring that and it's covered in this juice and that clob of whatever that is. And it's ruined. I'm like, daddy, what did you do? 
And I have to make that right, not by necessarily undoing that. How do you make it right? Um, you say you're sorry, and you know I will be more mindful in the future. But something along that metaphor that you just brought up of, of what we just talked about there with the kids and their drawings and crumpling and trying to make it right, if I do that, if I don't make that right in a way where I am approachable the next time, they're going to mm. isolate, they're going to shut down, and they're going to go away. They're going to find another avenue uh, uh, of coping with that that won't be coming to me as their, uh, well, right now, I, I am their authority figure, their friend, their confident, their everything, um, their supply of food, which is mainly what they're concentrating on. But if, if I don't do that in a way where they feel safe and heard and validated, understood, they won't come back. Mm-hmm. And when you take that and extrapolate it over onto the body of Christ, it is no less the same. And I think, I think as I was listening to you, I was thinking of, man, if, if somebody came to a speaker like they did you and literally just walk up to the pastor afterwards, which I'm sure it happens all the time, <laughs> and I got nothing out of what you said today. And here's why, uh, you know, if, if that pastor and there are people listening that their church is like this, where they are able to, the pastor is able to take constructive feedback. There's a relationship there. It's safe. It's wonderful. And that's what we want. But if you're a pastor or Sunday school teacher, uh, who doesn't create an environment where people can approach you and say, Hey, that hurt or, Hey, I didn't understand. Or, hey, did you mean this? Because it sounded like mm-hmm. you said, uh, and that's mm-hmm. heresy, <laughs> and I just wanted to cover it. If you don't create a, a safe way of responding to that, they're not going to mm-hmm. come back, and you're not going to get that feedback, and you're not going to know when this is happening, and they'll go somewhere else. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 I was thinking of that as you said it, and it just was so powerful. So powerful because within the community as well, it can happen too. Um, and and I, I think along those lines, and I want to go there next because the communities, the open dialogue being a safe place for people. And I know there's people that are going to bristle at that. Who needs safe places? You just need to learn how to, but it requires emotional mm-hmm. intelligence to be a safe person. How can communities as a whole, and then sp- more specifically in the body of Christ as a whole, foster an open dialogue here about unintentional harm without being defensive without not without making the other person's experience invalid but also without internalizing every piece of feedback that comes your way and just being scatterbrained on people are just complaining about everything i'm talking about i don't know what's right what's up what's down and what to share and what i don't want people coming to me every sunday on this i want to just share the gospel how can you do that without internalizing it um, and have a good, open, healthy dialogue about unintentional harm in the body of Christ? So in, in counseling programs, in graduate counseling courses, counselors in training are taught theory. They're taught uh, you know, application of that theory, specific skills uh, to use, specific structures that are helpful. But they're also taught that the most important part is the connection between the two of them, between the counselor and their counselees, those they're they're trying to serve. 
Um, and so for those who meet their goals and transition out of counseling, uh, those clients who do so, when they are uh, giving, when they give feedback to what was most important, you know, they often don't reflect on a specific thing that was said, a specific uh, technique that was used, a specific theoretical orientation. It's, it's about the relationship. And so I think similarly, you know, there needs to be space for us to recognize that the connection between us is the most important part. And that's not to say that there doesn't need to be, you know, thus saith the Lord sort of things in our families, right? Or in our church communities, but that never in ways that intend or don't intend, but do sever those relationships, you know? And I think about, I think about, um, yeah, I think about a theologian who said, you know, every time somebody tries to draw the circle smaller, I just draw my circle bigger. You know, I want, I want to, to see everybody as being on this journey with me moving towards, uh, towards Christlikeness. Um, you know, I, I, so I had a, I wanted to share this too. I, I had a, uh, a pastor uh, reach out to me. He's an expository preacher. And uh, this is not my pastor, uh, but a pastor I know. And reached out to me and said, you know, I am preaching through uh, the book of Philippians. And I'm coming to the passage where Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And he said, I want to be really respectful of my congregation because uh, there may be people for whom anxiety is complicated. And I'm not going to skip the verse because I'm an expository preacher and, and I want to cover it. Um, help me figure out what that could or should look like. And my response was to say, consider it an invitation. You know, and the analogy that I can't remember if I used it there, I've, I've used it since. But, um, you know, if, if you're sitting at the table, mate, with your family around and kids are being kids and maybe somebody's doing something, maybe they're standing up on their chair, right? That happens at nearly every meal. At some point, I think my kids will grow out of that. But somebody gets up on their chair, you know, and somebody does this and somebody does that. And now the glass of water has been spilled and it's rolling towards the edge of the table and it falls and it smashes on the ground, right? And now all kinds of things as a dad, as a parent, you need to be aware of, right? It becomes identifying who is not barefoot, who could potentially be the person who goes and gets the broom to sweep this up because we don't want, you know, and who's, you know, the, the, the tablecloth now uh, has water or whatever drink already on it. And so you go do this and you go do that. And in all of the things that need to be said and need to be done, recognize that one child feels like perhaps they're responsible for the rupture that has just taken place around the dinner table. And to hold that child in your lap and to say, be anxious for nothing. And so on days that are hard for me, on days that are, and, that, and there are some, <laughs> on days that are hard for me, during times when things are complicated, to see God not as someone who is just ordering just yelling, just saying these are the things that need to be done, just correcting, you know, that he's also 
somebody that's going to hold me close and say, be anxious for nothing. I'm inviting you into restoring your relationship with me. I was, well, maybe, maybe that's not even a helpful word because it isn't as though God's posture is one that needs, that, that he needs, you know, the restoration isn't a two-way street in that context. But, but to be able to say, it's okay, I'm still here, you're still close. I want to go. I want to go further down that road um, because it talks to a little about what we're going through here of, of how can we, as a community, as the body of Christ, um, be proactive about that well-intended harm. And uh, I think I would ask it this way: going going further with your with your metaphor because I love that, uh, and it's hard for me to even think of when I'm the one that may have caused a lot of damage and caused dysfunction. Uh, within the family dynamic um, that God is still, hey, you know, this is okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be okay. An invitation to be anxious for nothing. How can we, as the body of Christ and the members of that body, being the hands and feet of Christ, how can mm-hmm. we also be n- not just proactive about well-intended harm, but be an invitation to others to uh, out of their own hurt, out of what that harm has caused, uh, whether it's our community, our church body, our denomination, um, that yeah. has caused it. And I'm like, I, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't my experience. I, I haven't done any of that. I haven't caused it. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're talking about. They just want to destroy us for, with this, this hurt that this person is bringing. Mm. Um, they're just bitter. Is there another way right. that we can be that hand and feet of Jesus and invite that person who may be bitter, who may have an agenda, but is obviously hurting, that we can invite them into a relationship and rest. What is the way to go about that? So on an individual level, right, I think it goes back to validation and empathy, you know, rather than our default posture be, you know, defensiveness and scapegoating and those sorts of things, gaslighting even, you know, and then to acknowledge, you know, you know what? I do speak fast. You know what? I had a Mountain Dew before that workshop. Oh, you know, thanks so much for the feedback. I'm going to be way more intentional about making sure that I'm even pointing out where I am on the handout next time. You know, thank you so much for that. Right now, of course, that's me acknowledging my part. You're talking about more as a community of faith. But, but, you know, I think it's about encouraging honest communication right? Promoting active listening, right? So what I heard you say is, you know, and there's, and even, even for me as a therapist, but even just as a friend, right? Okay. So help me understand, Nate, is this something that you just need to vent and you need me to nod and move my eyebrows up and down? And, and I hear you, I hear you. Thank you so much for sharing. Or is there an action point here that you need me to come alongside? Are you asking me to go with you? To talk to this person about how how their action their their well intended actions have caused harm to you, um, you know, if so, I am I am willing to do that, you know, and I think that um, I think that that's that's a role that I you know I'm not a member of the clergy as you aren't, and you know, but as parishioners as as lay folks that we can say. Um, wow, even if that was not my experience, right? And, and, that, and part of that may be to say, you know what? I know more of the backstory there. 
I, you know, I wonder if this was their actual motivation. I wonder if this is the thing beneath the thing. That's not the first thing to say, right? The first thing to to say is to is to come alongside them, right? With that validation and empathy. But but I think there's there needs to be space for us to be able to make space for other people for whom that particular thing that was said, that song that was sung, that special day that was honored during the service, whatever the situation was, that we need to be able to make space for the fact that, yeah, that hits somebody a little bit harder than, than was intended. Well, it, it, along the, my, my mind is going to, if you are the leader, or if you don't see yourself as a leader, but you have influence, you obviously have influence that you, you use uh, on, a, on, a, on a daily, weekly, whatever basis. If you know that you can create this space that voices will be heard, experiences validated, and a space where vulnerability, actual vulnerability, uh, happens, uh, which is a strength, not a weakness, let's be clear. Um, mm-hmm. That is something you need to take advantage of because it, it reminds me of, uh, I'm reading through uh, uh, Kurt Thompson's Soul of Shame, and he mentions mm-hmm. in there kind of a group dynamic when it comes to uh, people that are being Uh, hurt or shamed in some way even if it's your workplace like your boss like oh they're yelling at that guy and i don't really agree what's what's happening it's probably wrong but i'm not getting involved with that a lot of (laughs) peacekeeping not peacemaking can happen Mm. within a church group with a church body where it's like well i hope somebody calls us out soon but it's not going to be me because i Mm. i am not and some of that is your own story let's be honest where (laughs) I'm conflict diverse. I don't want to get, but I can recognize it. I can recognize it over there. So leaders have a really good opportunity, let's call it, to create these spaces you're talking about and and help every person within that, because you're not just helping the person who's bitter that you perceive as bitter, let's say that, or that person that is hurt. You're helping others that maybe haven't been able to speak up and also helping Mm -hmm. some people that, see what's happening and maybe have some feelings about it, but, oh, I can't join in on that. I'm just going to be back here. Sure. And that even if it's another issue, and it, you know, this particular issue, you know, is not activating to me personally. Mm. But now that I know that this is how the community of faith, how this is how leadership, you know, addresses this sort of, these sorts of concerns, I know that I can now be more open about uh, what's what's complicated for me. You know, I think that's, that has to be that that's part of that as well right the people people who are looking on and what you know we, we can almost get slide from unintended harm to spiritual abuse if it becomes name calling and questioning the motivations of others and now almost dehumanizing language towards people yeah. who disagree with us or people who are trying to hold us to account, right? That sort of thing. Well, these are a bunch of ne'er do wells, or or whatever. Those sorts of that sort of language, and that now suddenly it can shift to. Well, wait a minute. Now, what are you saying? What? So that's not just the people who are involved, but all the people who are who are looking on, and they're seeing that rupture in connection, and they're saying, well, maybe I'm not safe here either. Or maybe they think that about me as well. You know, those sorts of dynamics. So yeah, I think it's really important for us to recognize, um, yeah, to recognize that we're all on different journeys. And that, by that, I'm not, I'm not at all, uh, what did I, I heard a speaker not long ago said, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, you know, this is not, there are many ways to 
many ways to God and it doesn't matter which. And I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm saying that we're all on unique journeys based on the families that we've come from, the education, the experience that we have, the, the relationships and, and how they have or have not uh, formed or malformed us. So you know, all, of those, all of those factors are complicated. And so to recognize that this person who may have a lot of the same demographic labels that I have, Right. They may also be, you know, a six and a half foot tall white guy in a sweater vest. Um, but that doesn't mean there's only one of those that I know of. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it is like 90 degrees in here at this point. But anyway, I you know, there's but but to 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 not assume. Right. That because our the this these percentage of demographic factors line up with this other person. Well, we went to the same college. Well, we sat under the same teaching. Well, we you know, we dated the same person, you know, whatever. Like, it doesn't mean, that, not at the same time, it doesn't mean that uh, we don't have very different experiences, even siblings. You know, I'm, I'm the oldest, and, and my experience is not exactly the same as, as, as younger. And so, like, it's, it's, it's complicated for us to try to extrapolate as though this, this, this is the uniform experience. And, um, you know, if, if, if you feel differently, that's because of something wrong with you. Um, and so maybe you need to be disassociated from our fellowship because of your, your woundedness is now cramping our style. You know, we need, so, so we need to, and that's a, that's a body of Christ thing. That's not, a, that's not just a uh, people on the platform thing. That's something we all need to be responsible for. Well, this, this thing of unintended consequences with what we're trying to accomplish, you know, it's not a new thing. Um, it, let's, uh, let's do that. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it over to you this way to kind of go down uh, the, the avenue of, are there any biblical narratives that we can point to to bring it back to God's word? Um, any biblical narratives where good intentions led to that unintended harm? Because I don't just want to harp on the church today and how terrible it is. That's not what I'm mm -hmm. trying to do. That is unintentional if it's coming through that way. Unintended harm there. Uh, this is this is as old as humanity itself. So biblical narratives, do you have any anything in mind on that front where it led to unintended harm? Yeah, yeah, I can think of a couple. And I, I think maybe the one that fits best in this discussion right now would be uh, would be David, right? So this is in uh, First or Second Samuel. David uh, decides he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem, right? This is the symbol of God's presence among His people. This is, you know, sort of a rally the troops. We're in this together. We want to honor God. Uh, we want to have His presence among us. And he knows he knows that there's specific protocol that are supposed to be used when transporting the Ark of the Covenant. And yet he says, yeah, no, it's just really important to do this one big thing. And so let's just, let's just skip some of the protocol, right? And so he doesn't follow the proper procedures in transporting the, transporting the Ark. And so, you know, here it's supposed to be, uh, you know, on poles, on the shoulders of the Levites, right, all of this sort of stuff. And instead, right, we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower, and we've got to get this thing done, we got to do this right now, we don't, we don't have time to wait. And so they put it on a, on a, on a cart, you know, that's, that's pulled by oxen, oxen, 
right? And of course, you know, those who know the story, right? It, one, one or more of the oxen falls, and, and one of the men who's carrying the ark, you know, reaches up to try to steady, uh, steady the ark. And, and what happens? But um, yeah, he dies because he, here David had intended, he was well intended in saying, hey, this will be, this will be helpful to have God's presence near. And yet uh, it wasn't the right time. He didn't have the resources to be able to do it in the way it needed to be done. And so similarly, right, when we aren't careful uh, about doing things in God's way and God's timing, that sort of thing, right, there can be unintended consequences and people can get hurt. Well, that, uh, I mean, David's a great example of kind of a stark contrast between of people dying from unintended uh, things and also he intended to kill some people at other mm-hmm. points and really came through on it. Uh, but, you know, people, you mentioned, they're sometimes uh, trying to do our best, and that is is, is great. Um, I think of some people, you know, giving giving guidance when you may not know the whole story, um, you know, reaching into another person's life. Because you mentioned that, too, when when someone's walking along and you're like, oh, I have some advice for them about how that they should, they're on their healing journey here because of my experience, let me jump in there. You kind of cross that, that boundary of, uh, of advice. And, you know, when someone comes in, the Lord told me, and this is always fun when somebody walks up to you and said, God told me to tell you this. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, <clears throat> okay, I can't top that. So I'm going to listen that you, you are the voice of God now, right? That's rough. Uh, well, let's go down that road. Uh, it's come up with well-intended <clears throat> guidance um, leading to unintentional harm, that violation of, of boundaries, because boundaries always pops up. What, is, what does that look like in this conversation? Yeah, so a lot of times people have, you know, have created a boundary because uh, there's been some sort of traumatic interaction previously, and so they feel as though this is helpful for them. And so, yeah, somebody might uh, be well-intentioned, to say, well, if I can just nudge you in this direction, or if maybe, you know, I've, I know you, you don't want to talk about this one thing, but you can trust me, you know, let's talk about that. You know, those sorts of dynamics. And then that person feels uh, feels violated, uh, that, that boundary's been violated. And so what, what what's complicated in the context of family, but even as we've talked about faith community today, you know, what can be really complicated there, uh, our participation within our local embodied faith community is such an important part of our identity as to you know who we are and so there becomes that whole like well now i don't feel safe in this space i feel like uh you know that my request was not heard i didn't feel uh like there was a attempt to understand where i was coming from when i set this boundary in place and so it becomes that so do i just continue to withdraw while maintaining my same geographic location which is not healthy emotionally or spiritually or do i like sever this and do i try to find community somewhere else. And in my work with people who have felt as though they needed to leave uh, the church that they previously attend for another one, often that is not an easy process, right? And people you know, describe it as you know, sometimes, well, this person is looking for an easier way, you know, that sort of thing. But like disentangling these important relationships is, is really, really complicated. But then there's also this mistrust you know, inherent in this new relationship is, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm making these requests. I'm setting up these boundaries. I'm I'm doing these sorts of. This is what's helpful for me. Is this community going to engage in the same sort of well-intended harm to me? You know, and so that can that can be really complicated because it's not. You know, I talked earlier about some of the consequences of uh, for the for the the person who has been harmed. But like that would include just having a hard time. Trusting, trusting family members, trusting, uh, you know, the, the community of faith, those sorts of things. They begin to ruminate on that, right? Well, everybody else is able to connect here and I'm not, right? And so, again, it becomes a self-esteem thing, becomes a, you know, a, a, a anxiety and depression, you know, sort of behavioral and emotional distress. And you're filling that, filling that gap with uh, some sort of maladaptive coping strategy it becomes an addictive behavior, right? So, so, like, there can be some significant consequences, if uh, if that rupture isn't something that we that we pursue uh, we pursue restoration right that we pursue uh, repair. Well, with that too, when it can be somewhat of and, and, and be clear here, not don't uh, label me a soft on sin at all. But you know some of those sure. behaviors that may come out of social interactions as you change cultural groups alone, let alone something as important as the group that you are moving forward on your spiritual journey, uh, following after Christ, trying to become as much like him as you possibly can, um, humanly, um, you know, to have people, you know, look at some of the things, the behaviors that they see of you, um, and de-Christianize with, with some, it can feel dehumanizing, um, and I, maybe passively as they're looking at you almost as if you're deceased or something when they meet you it's just like a oh we're praying for you you know we're always here we we're 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 praying for the best for you but you can tell that they're never never quite satisfied with how you turned out which that is that's just hurtful and that can that can lead to i think some of those we'll call them long-term consequences of the repair you're talking about not happening. If we just talk, communicate, listen, validate, I don't know. There's something there, but it's just go. It makes you not want to go back to certain spaces. If you're going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a, a big drum and funeral mm-hmm. dirges because you arrived and now you're reminded of all the ways with those people that are important to you that you didn't measure up. Mm-hmm. You didn't, come through and you're heading in the wrong direction even though you may be in church ministry you may be doing everything that god wants you to do um yeah we could go on there forever i think uh, uh, on a droll but we are almost out of time here and uh, you know you've been on here i like to hand it over to the the guest to um to give a final thought i don't know if it'll wrap up everything we've talked about here today because we've gone gone on a few rabbit trails uh, gotten away from the notes here and there <laughs> but um those are some of the best podcast episodes but if if i hand it over to you andrew um to talk directly to the gray story listener and you have a thought for them today as we as we sign off uh from andrew what would that be yeah thanks again for the opportunity to be on uh the gray story podcast nate i i really appreciate the gray story community and and um all the time and effort that's invested by by you and and others, and uh, I'm a I'm a listener as well as um, I guess a a contributor. What I would say is, uh, in whatever spaces where we're people of influence, whether that's just our family or whether that's our workplace, 
our faith community, whatever that looks like, uh, we need to acknowledge that there are times that we intend to do right. And whether it's a reflection of the fall and our own working outside our skill set, doing things that aren't quite on the timeline that we should, whatever the situation, and the feedback that we receive is that hurt. There's rupture here. I don't feel as close to you as I want to feel. We need to see that as a gift. Because the reason that our child or our friend or our coworker or our fellow parishioner, the reason that they're expressing these things to us is because they want to repair. And so being able to take a posture of humility, to acknowledge their own feelings and to, with them, collaborate as to what, what repair looks like. Um, you know, I think that's that's the big takeaway. Whether it's into whether our whether our actions were intended to be harmful or not, that we can take responsibility for the fact that somebody was hurt by actions we'd taken, and that we're willing to do the work of repairing that rupture. That's 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 my final takeaway. That's good. That's good, and that's that's what uh, being humble, being vulnerable. All those things are, are to me, the ways to show strength and uh, you know, kindness and, and all those all those good, good things that contribute to unity within the body of Christ and contribute to what we are ultimately here, glorifying God through relationship and relationship building. Um, so, yeah, well, that that's all the time we definitely have for, for this. But uh, I, I don't think this will be the last time we have you on, uh, Dr. Graham. In fact, I already have another uh, uh, topic, which I'll tell you after the show, that I want to have you back on to uh, to talk about. So, uh, But thank you for coming on today and, and sharing your expertise and your thoughts with the Great Story community. Thanks a lot, Nate. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening in. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go over there and give us a follow, tap a five-star rating, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow there and hit the notification bell to never miss an episode. We're always eager to hear from you, so feel free to email us with any suggestions for topics, thoughts, feedback. Nate at GraceStoryMinistries.com is where you'll do that. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged, continue on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks for a new episode, and until then, we'll be praying for you.